Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. I'm your host today, Omar Oaks. Today, let's talk about sex. Specifically, Jurex's latest ad campaign, which wants to challenge taboos, stigmas, and outdated attitudes. We also look at the Green Party's latest ad, which aims to fire at political lies and bluster used to deceive voters. Who could they be talking about, I wonder? And the Brit Awards, still culturally relevant or a relic of traditional media. All this and more from the world of advertising, media marketing, in this week's campaign podcast. Hello, listener, and welcome. And we have another great panel today. We're joined by Chantelle Begley, strategy partner at Havas London. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, what have you been up to this week? This week, well, I was watching the Brits last night, which I absolutely loved. Oh, you swat. Um, you swat. <laughs> you swat. I know. No, I was watching it. The husband was watching the football. We were in different rooms in the house. Ah, uh, modern life. <laughs> yes. Well, it's normally me watching the football, but not last night. Um... But I've been trying to this year, starting to get inspired in different ways. Went to a talk on like um, the history of swearing and its relevance today. And if you're intelligent, what it says about you, where you come from, it's absolutely just so interesting. Um, I will let you know what the book was um, afterwards. But this week really is just about getting the Jurex campaign out the door uh, and being proud of what that's doing in the world um, and, and being inspired and keeping momentum going. Yes, we'll talk about that in a second. And we also have Stu Alfred Knoll, Chief Creative Officer from Creature London. Hi, Stu. Hello. How are you? Uh, what, are you, what, are you what are you working on, Chief Creative Officer? What does a Chief Creative Officer do? Do you know what? It's a, it's a great question. I'm still yet to kind of fully understand it, um, especially when it's a Chief Creative Officer of uh, you know, a creative department of, of 12 people. But... Um, uh, I, I think the, the the truth is we you know the, the, look after the creative output of my agency uh, creature, uh, ensuring it all goes out into the world as good and as exciting and creatively ferocious as we originally intended it. Right, very good. <laughs> and we also have Brittany Kiefer, creativity editor at Campaign. Hi, Brittany. Hi, Omar. How are you? I'm good. I actually just got back from Lisbon. What were you, is that holiday? What were you doing? Elizabeth? No, I was there for work. I was, um, VML YNR invited me along to their European Creative Summit. So I got to meet some of their creative leaders from different markets and see some work that they have coming out and talk to them about what I've observed from the creative industry. So it was fun. So what did you observe? What's hot with VML YNR? Well, they actually have some great work coming out of London in the next few months. And it's really nice to see that after the merger, uh, they've kind of gotten on their feet and produced some really great stuff. So everyone look out for that. Indeed, very interesting. Um, listener, you should go to campaignlive.co.uk. You could search for my interview with VMLY and our London CEO, Justin Powell, we did quite recently. Um, they, interesting, they interestingly hired um, Laurent Simon from BBC Creative as their chief creative officer. So we're very keen to see what comes out of that agency in the months going forward. Okay, first, let's talk about the Brit Awards. Now, you mentioned Chantel, the Brit Awards. Um, did you watch it as well, Stewie? I didn't know, but you did say that we we're going to talk about it. So I went furiously searched for bits on the YouTubes and 
found snippets. Found the Dave performance, which was yes. Was I wanted amazing. to talk about the yeah. Dave performance. Yeah. It was absolutely extraordinary. I was actually there last night. Um, it was the first time I saw the Brit, Brit Awards uh, up close, and it was extraordinary. And it, I realised when I was watching it, this this thing had happened, and it felt really important and authentic and real. And um, Let's just hear a quick clip of that. It is racist, whether or not it feels racist. The truth is, our prime ministers are real racist. They say, you should be grateful we're the least racist. I say the least racist is still racist. And if somebody hasn't said it, equality's a right. It doesn't deserve credit. Now, if you don't want to get it, then you're never going to get it. How the news treats Kate versus how they treated Meghan. Rest in peace, Jack Merritt. You're my brother in arms. There's tears in our eyes and love in our hearts. We never had the same background, culture, colour or past. But you devoted your life to giving others a chance. And for that... And that's Dave there. And as you as you can tell, it was it was in the tradition of really iconic Brit Awards moments that happens. I'm thinking of Madonna's dress and Michael Jackson and Jarvis Cocker from all those years ago. Um, but what I was wondering is, in this age of digital media and we're all in our echo chambers, how many people will will we'll get the figures for the listening figures for the Brit Awards in the show notes, but how culturally relevant do you think the Brit Awards still is? I mean, it's difficult, really. I um, I went to the Brit Awards. I remember years and years and years ago, invited by you know a music company, and I remember sitting behind, um, oh, what's her name, Katy Perry, and her dress had ripped right in front of it, and and Harry Styles kept coming over and like sort of flirting with her. It was anyway, it was a fun thing. And at the time, I remember the only sort of significant thing happened was Arctic Monkeys were generally obnoxious on stage and dropping microphones and whatnot, and it sort of felt like one big kind of industry sort of shindig for all of these kind of music sort of hobnobbing kind of event. It was a bit like a kind of an industry thing, albeit shown on ITV or what have you. Um, I guess you're right, though, in recent years, and particularly with the Dave thing, you know, I woke up this morning, I'm not on the old social medias or whatnot anymore, but yeah, I still get kind of pushed things on, you know, Guardian or what have you, and certainly something came out as Dave calling out Boris Johnson as racist or whatever, and it's sort of... So, you know, clearly... It clearly it kind of got into the into the sort of the the news sphere. So um and then, you know, watched it, albeit watched it through being, you know what I mean, suggested that I watch it. And again, I'm not a particularly good example of this because I'm not on the Twitters and what have you. But it was immense. <laughs> it was an immense performance, but also his psycho performance at, you know, the Mercury's as well was I remember that going round and being a, another one. But but I think as much as anything else, just the staging of it, the the sort of the the show, the projections, you know, I mean, on that sort of white top, as the two of them at the piano, it was a it was an amazing piece of art in and of itself. And then clearly, it's it's prodded something, you know, I mean, out there. And uh, so, I, I hope, I hope it has far-reaching things. But yeah, perhaps it it does exist within a bubble of people getting excited about kind of commentary in that in that form. Brit, what do you think? Um, the the Brits Awards, Brit, what do you think? <laughs> I didn't watch the awards either. I, I tend not to watch a lot of those types of awards, but then I love to get the highlights afterwards, and I think that's how most people consume them now. They hear about a particular moment that stood out, and then they just go watch it on YouTube. Mm. I mean, you obviously write about creativity and cultural trends, wider culture, full campaign. Do you... Does this... Is the Brit Awards? Do you look at it in the calendar and think, "Oh, something's going to happen," or is it? Is it on? How much of it is on your radar? I think that it's on my radar to a degree, but it seems that um, when I watched the day performance, I remembered the performance that Stormzy did. Was it at the Brits or was it at a, a different show where he 
um, talked about Grenfell and he called out Theresa May. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. And sometimes these events are moments of, you know, someone taking a stand on something politically or or making a statement about something wider in culture. And that's when they can be really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's obviously a forum to do that. Um, Chantel, you obviously think about these similar issues when you're thinking about planning campaigns and what's going to cut through and how a brand, how it mirrors with that. I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is how much these we're talking about Dave and the Brit Awards because of the very pointed things that he said within a performance. Um, does it need to kind of be that um, that that really high profile thing for the Brit Awards to stand out anymore? Or can they stand on their own two feet without that breakout performance? I think he could have done that outside of the Brits. I really mm. do. But I do think the Brits was a platform for more people to hear it because he has a certain audience that he talks to. Um, whereas that is, you know, it's like Gogglebox. <laughs> you know, there's everyone on their sofas of all ages and ilks who are being exposed to it. And if it causes and stirs debate, then that's only a good thing. You know, I think the Brits over time has become a bit like Glee. It's lost its swagger and its punk and its anarchy that I used to love about it. And it was that appointment viewing. I mean, to be honest, back in the day, there was only five channels, me growing up. Mm. But now there's over 200. Mm. So I think it's it's trying to find its space and it needs acts like that to give it a bit more credibility in its 40 year. But I don't think he needed them as the platform, except that, you know, reaching more people. And it was really pointed. And I just hope more follows up from it and doesn't just become that moment in time that just disappears and it's over the newspaper and the coffee and we move on you know because there was real meaning um, behind that so, like, actually the, the the performance up to the point where he kind of calls out um johnson is is so powerful and so good and the sort of the news clippings and the projections yeah. that kind of go on the white so table it's it's so so good and it's genuinely like a beautiful performance and if anything, that felt like most powerful bit for me yeah. as opposed to, because, you know, like slow tie, you know, cut, you know, showed the sort of beheading of Johnson on stage at the Mercury's and stuff. We've already, I feel like the kind of the poking at Johnson thing just keeps getting like yeah, laid on. Done. But that being said, you know what I mean? It has driven sort of eyeballs to the sort of the three and a half minutes before it, which is poignant and, and yeah, beautifully done and expressed. So that, uh, I, I, yeah, it sort of felt real pride watching it. It was really, yeah, a really amazing thing. Quite. But then I liked Lilo as well in it because, you know, the lyrics to her opening song was all about female, you know, empowerment and loving your body and who you are. And there are other messages out there that we should be embracing and talking and doing more around as well. So there's a political, there's an individual, there's a societal. And I thought, you know, with those two people, that was great, you know, to have that. And I wanted more of it. Mm. So, more of it. Now, um, after break, we're going to talk about condoms. And we're back. And now, um, I want to talk about um, this Jurex ad that you did, Have Us London, Chantel. Very interesting. Um, Lots of important themes come out of it, I think. Um, Brittany, you actually are interviewing Chantel separately about this ad do you want to explain to listeners what the ad is about sure well it's actually not just an ad it's a complete relaunch of the brand and durex is right. about 90 years old just over 90 and so this is a major moment for them to rethink what it is that they stand for and what their purpose is um they've already kind of started laid the groundwork 
uh, with a campaign called Ladies Let's Lube, which came out, was it last year or the year yeah, before? Yeah, last year, um, February. And that campaign was all about how many women have uncomfortable sex and they just put up with it. So it was encouraging women to use lube and to make that a normal everyday part of their sex lives. And that was really empowering because that is something that previously I think has been seen as an outlier. A lot of women don't talk about that. They might think that they're the only ones and there's something wrong with them. So Durex came out with this big statement and letting women know that they shouldn't have to put up with this and and they're normal if they're if they're finding it a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, but this campaign that la- and the brand relaunch is all about sex positivity, and it's about breaking down stigmas and taboos that still exist around sex. And Durex really sees this as the start of a new sexual revolution. Not that they're starting it, but that we're already entering it and that Durex needs to be part of the conversation. And they do a global sex survey every couple of years. So they found some really interesting research. A lot of it is really front and center of this campaign and giving people real statistics about what sex is like for people, what what are some of the challenges that people are still facing. And one of the key themes I think that comes out of it is that a lot of people think that with the internet, you know, there's a lot more openness around sex and maybe there's not much to to overcome with it anymore. We're all talking about it. But simultaneously with the internet, we've seen a lot of miscommunication, misunderstandings, people not really, um, or, you know, being educated by porn rather than real facts. And so this is about, I think, bridging that gap and helping people have good sex and feel good about the sex that they're having. But Chantel is the expert. <laughs> Wow, you've done it all for me. <laughs> this is brilliant. Uh, that, that was indeed a very good description. Uh, now, um, Chantel, um, what was the point of this particular execution? What was the brief and why did you do it this particular way? So it wasn't specifically what was this brief. It's been over 18 months, almost two years of working on the new brand positioning. And this was our opening handshake ultimately to the world to say we're we're doing things differently um, and the brief was really how do we tell people that the types of fights that we're going after and what we want to be a champion of and a beacon for in the world effectively and and I guess from a brief perspective it was like how do we infiltrate culture how do we spark a conversation how do we get on the ground of where people will see us We'll take a picture of it, share it with others and, and create a stir ultimately. And that was the intent. The brief was like, how do we create a stir when we tell people what we're doing? But also for us, it was more of like a promise to people to say what you're seeing here is what we believe in and what we're going to fight for and help and support so that we could be held responsible and accountable for it as well. I think there's nothing worse in the world than a brand launching and leaving and they go, hey, and then they just disappear and there's no depth behind it. And for us, the shift was about having a conversation with people rather than just broadcasting at them. You know? So so what was Durex doing before then? What's what's how do we how do we measure this change? Well, you would have seen a lot of um our campaigns after the watershed, typically. Right. Like that's the codes of the category. You know, sex sells, but it sells after dark. Um, and what you'll start to see from us, and, and like it started with Ladies Let's Lube, is we're going to start to talk in different places. It's nothing new in terms of media approach, but it's new for the, the sex 
health and well-being category, you know, and start infiltrating culture. So where people are having the conversations and it not always being about the act itself and being in a bedroom and silk, silk sheets. It's <laughs> about real people being able to have a real conversation about real issues and concerns um, and start to act as a leveler. So you'll start to see more conversations happening in more places, but it's not always about, you know, sexy bed sheets and positions. It will be about people um, and how they emotionally feel as well as they physically feel. And, and that journey, you know, from uh, from dating to mating is kind of how I talk. It's like that whole plethora of that journey you'll start to see more of. Mm. Um, I imagine um, in researching this ahead of the campaign, before the campaign launching, um, you must have uncovered some really interesting things. I mean, was there anything that particularly surprised you in the research that you did? For oh, this? God, so much to be honest. I mean, the biggest thing for us is that two thirds of people are dissatisfied with their sex lives. Two thirds. Two thirds. And that's in um, and that's a drop global. in satisfaction, yeah. right? And that's, it's, it's getting worse, you know. So you just think, wow, people aren't... Is this two thirds of all people, people in a relationship? Or? So two thirds of all people in a relationship or just having sex, so obviously, mm. um, across the globe are not happy with their sex lives. Mm. And the reason they're not happy is because, you know, emotionally and physically there are anxieties. You know, the world, the sexual landscape, like you were saying, Brittany, was, you know, there's all this opportunity and optimism and openness, but there's also all these worries and concerns and stigmas and repercussions of those actions in the real world. There's no real guardrails that have been put there for people. Um, and is this so, something that has always been prevalent, but we're only just finding out about now, or is it something that's gotten worse? It's got worse, and I think the codes of the category have always been talking about from good to great. Here's amazing sex. Here's have to have an <coughs> orgasm, or you know, ten positions to try when you lose your virginity. Like the codes of the category have all been hyped up, oversexualized, Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, and that that you know, sex sells. Um, but I think, you know, over the last 10 years and the proliferation of the Internet, um, dating apps, you know, it's, it's it's changing its shape. Even the definition of love has moved on. It, it's love, lust and hookups, you know, that it's no longer this one size fits all. And I think that progression has, has changed quite rapidly in the last 10 years, to be honest. Um, and there was something that I was particularly struck by. Um, it was a, a line in the copy. I'm hoping I'm getting this right. Porn's not the norm. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in this issue, this effect of this generation of young men we have in society today who essentially are growing up with um, widespread availability of pornography on the internet. And I'm interested in what effects this is happening on society. Um, young men's attitudes towards sexual violence, towards proper attitudes towards sex, about consent. Um, is that something that came up in your research? Is that It's all of those things. And I would say it's not just men. You know, women are watching porn too. And I think, you, you know, porn's not the enemy at the end of the day, you know, but it's, it can be a part of a healthy sex life, but it's not the only part. And I think where it's having its most impact and for us where we found is with the younger generation, you know, sex ed isn't mandatory or equal, you know, like even the balance between female pleasure and male pleasure. It doesn't talk. We talk about procreation, not getting pregnant. But for men, you know, it's ejaculation, wet dreams. There's a broader. It's about pleasure. So there's an imbalance there. Then not all schools are doing the same level of sex ed. And mm. it's very, very different. So they're reaching out to find out for themselves, which, which I think is great. The fact that you can go and seek out this information. 
But what it doesn't teach you are the good sexual behaviours that go with that. You know, it, it's fantasy in some part, you know, like there's no condoms in porn. So that's why young, you know, the younger generation aren't using them. They think, well, I'm not seeing it in films. It's not talked about in the lyrics of music. It's not seen in porn. So how, you know, why do I need it? There's a pill to fix everything now. You know, people live with HIV. You know, they're growing up in a very different era and porn is one influence on where they're going to seek that advice. And it is having an effect on... I think it's silently creeping into those intimate moments, you know, where it's like, oh, I've seen, I was saying to Brittany earlier that on um, Instagram that and Spotify, there was like 10 tracks to, to choke her to. And you're like, okay, so when did choking become the norm? You know, so, but there's no guardrails. There's no guide. There's no how to, how to put on a condom or how to, you know, make a con- using a condom sexy or how to ask her what she wants. There's no guardrails there for it. And I think it's, you know, we have to do something to help people know that that's one part of it. And it's about good sexual behaviours, consent, conversation, knowing the right information um, and then doing with it what you want. And simultaneously, a lot of people talk about the sex recession. So how can those two things what did, Sorry, coexist? what does sex recession sex mean? Sex re- recession, um, there's research that shows that young people are having less sex than um, previous generations. Yeah. And what, what, I dare ask, why is that? Well, I think, again, it's the role of technology as well. So the definition of sex is changing. It used to be like heterosexual. It was penetration. There is anal. There's oral. That It's actually just changing. It's becoming more individual with like dating apps and swiping right. You know, expectations have changed. So I think there's less of it, but we need to make it more meaningful and less frivolous. What are your thoughts, Stu, and just um, in um, a wider perspective in terms of a brand? Obviously, Durex is a particular brand. We know where it's coming from when it's having a conversation about sex through culture. Um, But do you think in general it's a brand's responsibility to um, promote sex positivity, if you like, if they want to delve into that conversation? Oh, I mean, in Durex's case, I I wouldn't necessarily say it's a responsibility, but I say the opportunity and the... The chance to is 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 huge and is so important as a result. You know, like the, as you rightly say, sort of Chantel, it's been you know decades and decades of of you know pushing inverted commas awesome sex, you know, elevating sex and the opportunity to kind of like say you know whoa 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 let's just let's have a kind of conversation about real sex or like normalising sex or actually kind of slightly going against the sort of the, the pornographic norms that are kind of coming along you, you, you know you remind me of a story i'd heard you know just at the end of last year um a mate girl who was in her sort of early 30s had gone out with on a first sort of tinder date you know with a guy in his early 20s and granted it's an example of one um but she said he was a lovely guy lovely polite guy you know they you know ended up going home and all of a sudden, when they're in bed, he starts effectively verbally abusing her. Do you know what I mean? Bed, and she's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You know, whoa! What's what's going on?" And she, and he went, "I thought you'd like it." You know what I mean? And she was like, "No, nah, mate. All right, you know, one of one example in in many, perhaps. But I think it's you know, again, you know, saw the campaign out last week, and and interestingly, you know, I see a lot of students over, you know, and, and do a lot of book crits for the students come out of college and I saw like last year DNA debrief, right? Was yeah. was basically that, right? Yeah. And it was brilliant seeing lots of young, you know, creative teams effectively tackle yeah. the, a very similar brief that that, that you know Havas and Jurex had, had set to um you know creative students and all kind of coming with their own sort of spin on it. And actually one of my very favourite campaigns was a team that 
tried to sell boring sex you know like just this idea of actually the best sex is boring sex because it's the one where you are kind of your closest and you're most loving and you're most together and, and and all that and it was a like a beautiful spin on something that didn't necessarily feel too preachy or worthy or you know or, or boring you know what i mean yeah. for, for one of the better it actually it ended up being putting a smile on your face and 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 it was you know insightful relatable and so i think uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't ever suggest that it's a brand's responsibility because, you know, the responsibility is to, you know, a bunch of shareholders usually, you know what I mean, rather than society as a whole. But the opportunity to, to kind of, um, uh, to do that is, is, is vast. And those that do grab a hold of it are oh, basically, they're, they're the ones that we should all kind of, you know, bow to and, and kind of thank for, for, for bringing this and putting it on this sort of a, a broader stage. So, you know, it's great stuff. It's really good. Okay, in just a second, we're going to talk about the Green Party. Let's just hear a clip from the Green Party's new political party broadcast ahead of the mayoral elections in London in May. Hello, Westminster, and thanks for joining us here on Quick Win TV, the go-to place for every politician in need of some votes. Empty promises, pie-in-the-sky policies distracting flim-flam and all the internet you can eat. Yummy. But first up, we have the all-new budget briefcase. Right, so there we had it. It was um, a faux QVC uh, shopping channel sort of ad. Um, Stu, uh, um, from the agency behind this ad, um, what was the point of it? Why did the Green Party do the ad in this way? Um, uh, well, why? It's a good question. Uh, we've we've been doing the party political broadcast for the Green Party for uh, four or five years now. We've done, I think, five five of them, four or five of them. Um, and when we first started working with with the Greens, our sort of uh, again our observation or insight was that you know the the, the dullest sort of words in the English language are uh, there now follows a party political broadcast from the mm. uh, you know insert mm. party. Mm. And God knows, you know, the Green Party are not necessarily the next best three words to apply at the end of that sentence because, you know, everyone kind of buckles up ready for a lecture on, you know what I mean, what they're doing is wrong and, you know what I mean, and they should be looking at the environment and, you know what I mean, all the Everyone likes the Green Party, don't they? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, well yeah, hey, they yeah. do now. They do now, you know what I mean, after four or five, you know what I mean, just don't vote for them. political party uh, broadcasts. No, I think the 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 sort of the, the simple thing was like we wanted to be able to get across important messages, you know, and, and I love the Green Party and for everything it stands for. Um, but we wanted to do so in a way that felt um, entertaining, that felt uh, sticky, that felt people would actually want to watch rather than, you know, turn over the channel or, or, or go off and do something else. So um, coming at it in, a, in, in an entertaining way was, has been something that we've always done. So in the past, we've done, you know, parodies of... Uh, uh, secret life of five-year-olds and we've done a music video and we've done um you know sort of a faux board game ad from the 90s and uh, you know you know to, to some of them maybe be more successful than others um but uh, the, the challenge has always been getting across um uh, those messages in a way that people care to, to listen this time it's very interesting what you've done because you've particularly taken aim at some politicians, we can talk about who those might be, um, who um, have um, lied or used political bluster, I think is the word used, um, 
as opposed to talking about the Green Party's environmental policies, for example, or the fact that you know this is um, this is obviously um, a political priority broadcast for the upcoming mayoral election in May in London. Um, why call out lying in particular? Um, what we tend to do when the sort of the, the 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 brief comes in, and the brief is is pretty loose. It's you know help us get across. You know I mean um, uh, some of the policies that we've got and and do so in a way that people listen. The 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 first place we tend to start is is where where what's the stuff that we can grip onto? What's the things that actually we can um, you know throw a bit of satire and kind of comedy at to to to, to produce something entertaining? So the the honest truth is that we we just effectively lay out everything that seems to be culturally you know relevant and that sort of happened in the last year. Interestingly, this time around, it was a bit more of a challenge. In previous years gone by, there was probably more um, uh, MPs, politicians in the public eye. There was um, leaders that were frankly in place. You know, now you haven't got a leader of the Lib Dems or Labour. You know, really. So, sort of Corbyn and you know Swinton was like, we're out of the, you know, we we're out of the firing lines. So we were. It was definitely a slightly narrower, you know, kind of palette to play with. Um, but certainly. Uh, a significant topic was um, what we kind of call quick win sort of policies and or brackets lies. You know, I mean, often that that other parties go after in the hope of securing votes, and this uh, sort of policies constantly sort of changing with the wind felt like something that was kind of in stark contrast to the Greens, who have stuck very sort of solidly to their policies for 40, 50 years now. So, um, so is it seen as a key point of difference that people trust the Green Party a lot more than other parties? Is that and you're trying to double down on that? Is that what's going? Yeah, on? Yeah, I mean, if, if you know, in sort of head to head, in when people kind of, you know, vote for policies blind, the Green Party always comes out on top. <laughs> it's one of these things that you know the policies, the things that the Green Party stand for, um, are you know are, are generally things that you know the majority of people, like you know, certainly a significant proportion of people. Um, you know, uh, support and are behind, um, as opposed to you know, I mean, some of the other kind of behaviours and policies of other of other parties. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a thing that you know, given you're asking the question, it's a challenge that has often been put to us. I mean, as to why focus on you know baiting the other parties when you could focus on the sort of the positives of the Green Party and the and the God's honest is that you know that that we think is where. The, the the entertainment and the stickiness comes through, and that's where the the sort of the, the the success of previous ones have come about is people kind of laughing at and pointing at sort of the lunacy and the the lies and the the ridiculousness of of uh, the behaviours in other parties. So we kind of continue down that path. Do you guys um I I don't know um Chantal at Havas if you work with any political parties or political advertisers right now? But no, I, not I, at the I, moment. I just wondered generally, is this something do you think we're going to see more of in terms of um, political broadcasts or political ads on social media where they're not talking about their specific leadership qualities or policies but they're actually just going to talk about authenticity and whether you can trust one party over another. Do you think that's something we're going to see more of? I'd like to see more of it. I particularly <laughs> like the Green Party ones because they just make you realise that that is what's going on. We're sitting here talking about what's right or wrong and actually this is all ridiculous. Let's get back to basics. But I, I just hope that more parties can step into that authentic role versus it, because then it can become another type of mudslinging. 
you know, we're just using humour to divert away from it, but get to the real policies for real people and hopefully see that infiltrate a bit more um, and take people on a journey. But I think we should That's see more. That's the depressing it. thing, though, isn't it? As you say, we, we, you know, we want to be talking about the actual policies and what differentiates these people instead of arguing about who lied and who said what. It's just it's incredibly depressing. I mean, Brittany, I mean, you write about political ads from time to time. And in case, listen, you haven't discovered Brittany is American, where they have um, slightly looser rules on political advertising over there. But, you know, it's, it's incredibly depressing to be having arguments um, about telling, who's telling the truth and who isn't. I find that in the U.S., the the all the ads I can remember, first of all, they're relentless during election mm. season, but it's all about um, mudslinging and just accusing other politicians of not doing their job or lying, or and 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 you just want to know well, what what do you actually stand for then? I wonder, Stu. Um... Stop me if I'm wrong, but the the decision to use the QVC shopping format is that because it, it people you think don't inherently don't trust those um, shopping channels in terms of what they're being fed, or I was wondering why you chose to do that. Oh, you know, n- numerous reasons, and we could talk about budget as well at some point along the line of it. But <laughs> but no, I mean uh, the QVC thing, yeah, was was well, genuinely, it was like it was quick win sort of um, sort of policies that um, you can kind of grab a hold of, or quick win tactics or mm. tricks. Um, and it just felt like that kind of this, the disposable nature of those things kind of felt like it kind of leaned perfectly into uh, that kind of QVC selling, you know, tat to the masses kind of uh, format, I, I guess. It should be said, just to speak to the mudslinging thing, I, I, like, I would entirely kind of agree with like, it would be a depressing future if if it was just as you know one politician sort of muddling in against another in a in a sort of a, a vicious and nasty way you know we've always you know with the green party a you know attempted to have a uh, effectively a policy hidden underneath what you know with the the, the subject that we're, we're touching upon whether it be climate change or whatnot so you know within each of those gags there's a there's a deeper meaning behind them it isn't just a, a bit of mudsling and also done in a satirical, you know, I mean, like, oh, it's like tongue-in-cheek way. So, you know, I mean, it's not the kind of American <laughs> sort of tactics yeah. that are, yeah. oh, like... It's very different. It's very <laughs> different, right? You know what I mean? So we never want it kind of... It's a, and, and actually, as much as anything else, the, the, the broadcaster, uh, an, an attempt to make the Green Party feel like a modern likeable... It's different because um, it has a humorous. sense of humour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Humorous part. And that, and that, I think, is has been... Uh, as an important piece of sort of body language for the Green Party, the broadcast over the years, which, you know, we, we believe has had a significant you know, impact on membership. You know, I mean, rates going, you know, I get higher and higher and higher every year. You know, membership rates in Greens is, is amazing and more and more young people are coming into the Greens. And so, it's, you know, I, actually I went to college the other day, last Friday, the day after it had come out and got challenged by the students there, you know, that, that they, we should have done a more serious ad for instance, uh, really? And, why is that? Why? Well, why it was. I think, and it was. It was. I think this. 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 This belief that you know, I mean, we're in quite, you know, uh, you know, precarious and 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 sort of challenging times when it comes to um, the, the environment and, and and life in general. So you know, the, the Greens shouldn't be seen to be sort of mocking or laughing at the party. They should be doing something serious and something, you know, proper and doom and gloom and stuff. And we're like, no, because. <laughs> No, People nobody wants to, to be that. lectured by 
the blooming Green Party. I mean, no one wants that. Yeah. No one wants the Green Party telling them, you know, I mean, to you know, why they aren't doing enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think that would only go to, you know, to continue to sort of, yeah, you know, calcify the, the, the sort of the, the negativity around the Greens and the sort of their, their unapproachability. So we want to make them a slightly more approachable party and a likeable party. And I, and I think that's why, I mean, uh, humour in this particular case, we, we believe to be a, um, you know, a real sort of significant and good tactic. I think it, like me watching them, I think it inspires you again to like reconnect with a different party. That's what I liked about it. The fact that the policies were there, as you say, like hidden. You need to be really, but mm, at face mm. value, you're just like, oh, fuck's sake. This is the landscape year in, year out. The same old shit, a different voice, a different haircut. Like, when are we going to get back to the real stuff? And what it did for me was reignite a warmth and a sensibility around, let's get back to the basics. So if it at least just does that, we're doing the right thing. So I really loved it, but worry that that could get missed if everyone starts to your point going on that bandwagon then it loses its integrity and its difference in that space we do of course live in um, a slightly strange world in which um, there are very strict rules about what you can and can't say in advertising for brands but not for political messages of course um don't get do me started you, I mean, what are your thoughts <laughs> do you think we should have the same standards applied to political advertising Yes, definitely. <laughs> Does anyone disagree? It's a straight up God live. Yes, please. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous that, you know, I mean, we have kind of constant conversations with clearcast as to whether the flowers in a moon pig ad we've made are the same flowers that you know what i mean that are a slightly different shade of red to the roses that moon pigs are. Do you know what I mean? And we've got to go five, provide all this proof that they it's like obscene the level of stuff. I mean, rightly so, rightly so. You know what I mean? You know, they, they, they do it. That, but the fact that they can even stick big old lies on the side of a bus, you know what I mean? It's just like... Right, yeah, so you, th- you three <laughs> are telling me, as all people who work in this capitalist economy where we want to um, have a free exchange of ideas, you want the government or a government agency deciding what should and be, shouldn't be said in No, I think let's flip it the other way and let brands have their say. Like, I can't talk about pleasure you know, around lubes, but I can talk about sex with condoms because it's a Just protection clear, why brand. Can't, why can't you talk about that? Because they're saying that, you know, the, the reg- we don't want to offend. So like Facebook, for instance, does not want us to be talking about female pleasure. We, they don't want to offend their base, their wow. fan base. So we're constantly being, the biggest issue for the jurors is constantly being gagged by the medium. Not being able to say what we want to say to actually empower people with the facts. So let's not just say, like, how do we stop, you know, the political broadcast spilling their lies? How about let's let the real people have the real conversations and open the doors a bit more and temper it on both sides of the bank? But, you know, being cut down by the knees all the time is really, really difficult when you're trying to do good in the world. Um, specifically on a sex brand we are constantly it's like we'll leave that to the aftershed too many people's eyes are on that Mm. you know or maybe let's go to a different platform maybe vice or someone like that we can be a bit more edgy and it's just like why can't we reach more people in the right place at the right time with a message that's about people's sexual health and attitudes and relationships and giving them the tools to have a better experience that that for me is like let's flip the debate and try and level the playing field for all versus curtailing someone else again you know in the mix so it's not asking for like you know the 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 regulation or the 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 expectations in terms of marking off what you kind of can't say it's not it's not a question of the government telling us what you definitively can or definitively can't say it's more catching 
lies <laughs> and like mm-hmm. an outright you know false claims you know which we need to be held you know accountable to you know i mean which we click us do a damn good job of you know i mean it, we do have you know i mean opinions as to some of the slightly things that we yeah. can and can't do from a creative perspective and naturally i would say that as a creative but in regards to you know claims yeah. that then then it, then of course you know i mean it's it, we, we need to be being honest um so but you know, we're not saying we kind of can't it's more just the specifics that that are thrown out there that need checking at the very least say I the mean, truth for everyone yeah right. that's it's very right on very good um just a few minutes left um before we run, wrap up um i just want to mention thank you to prodigious at um publicist group in chancery lane um uh, for hosting us today in their wonderful studio um right uh, before we wrap up um what are you guys up to for the rest of this week what are you reading listening watching right now what inspires you Chantel, to to make you to make you the wonderful practitioner that you are thanks Uh, (laughs) so um for me the rest of the week we're um doing more on durex in terms of looking at sex positivity and and what the future holds and where we should align from a personal perspective to keep me curious and excited like i said at the beginning my mission at the moment is to read as much as i can and be totally inspired so i am literally um a netflix junkie i think i've pretty much watched everything at the moment i'm loving you've watched everything pretty on netflix. much anything <laughs> worth watching shall i say i don't <laughs> no, I think, think that's possible um, well god i honestly i can't tell you how much i'm watching of it i'm using it to decompress on the way home and before i come into work and keep my mind stimulated but there's um you know the um, education series that they've got on Netflix. So I'm, I'm watching the the Mind one at the moment, which right. is about dreaming, your memory, etc. Just 20 minute episodes. So it's re- really fascinating. And then um, a few talks. So I'm going to the history of dance music next week. Um, how to argue with a racist um, tomorrow evening. So just all different provocative conversations, topics, um, and all of those have either got a book that's coming out or a speaker around something. Um, so I'm trying to read and diversify just to think differently around topics, people, behaviours. I know it sounds like I'm living my job, but oh. honestly, this is why I'm a strategist. Yeah, I'm just you're... literally constantly curious about the world in which we're living in. You'll have to come back soon and tell us how to argue with a racist. <laughs> I can't wait to go, yeah. honestly. I'm just... Mad um, topics, but they might not be. I went to Sex, Lust and Taboos last week, um, which was super interesting as well in terms of the way the world is moving, etc. There's got to be a way of combining you know, your, your now knowledge of swearing, dance, and then arguing the race. There's, there's, there's a combination there waiting to happen. Like, I just, what can I say? Uh, <laughs> and Stu, what's getting your creative juices flowing? I, I, what, are you, um, what are you consuming right now? I, the reason I didn't watch the Brits last night is I went to see, I had a sort of a, 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 a rare night off and, and, and watched, um, a, a rare night off, I should say, from um, looking after a kid, not you know, not long hours at work. Uh, my wife let me go to the cinema to watch uh, Parasite, which oh, was, that was great. oh my god, it's incredible! It's just it's masterful. It's just wonderful. Wonder. It's, I mean, it's you know you sort of expect me to say that, I guess, but it genuinely, genuinely, genuinely is. It's it's immense. Um, watched quite a lot of films recently, actually. Um, you know, Netflix. Um, I really enjoyed the Two Popes. That was really oh, good. I haven't seen that yet. With Anthony but, Hopkins and, and uh, yeah. Jonathan, Jonathan Price. Price. But really hated, and like it's caused a lot of kind of arguments and discussion. Really hated Uncut Gems. That was one oh, I really I've hated. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I didn't see it. Oh, did you? Yes. Did you like I've it? I've been genuinely waiting for someone to talk much. to about how much I hated it. Like, yeah. um, why is it bad? Oh, it's just it's just a badly like I just one. It's kind of it is a a stressful watch, but it's not just that. I think it's sort of. 
um, I, I think it's the very worst kind of farce. Mm. You know what I mean? It's farce, but not done well. Cut me off you watching I mean? it now. It's, oh, no, don't, because loads of other people will say it's great. And... Well, I just saw Mercy and Bombshell, and they were fucking epic. Honestly, I've never... It's been a long time since I've had a real visceral reaction. Joker was one of them, and I felt like, mm. oh, my God, like, I went through this myriad of emotions from, like, being on his side to hating him to the world. The same with Bombshell. The fact that that entire cast looked like the people they were trying to represent. I was almost going, is that Charlie Theron? Is that Nicole Kidman? Mm, mm. And it's just, yeah. Honestly, I just literally, again, went through all, a world of emotions. And I thought those two were brilliant. I actually left crying. <laughs> I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> I'm actually the opposite to you, Chantel. I find myself, when I'm flicking through Netflix so much, it, it sort of raises the bar for what I feel like I should press play on. And so I find I'm actually watching less TV, less than I've ever watched before. And I find myself I'm reading a lot more. I, I don't I don't know how common that is among people. What are you reading? What am I reading? Um, I'm I last week I finished Invisible Women. I don't know if any read by by Caroline or or Cadia Perez. Sorry if I've mispronounced that incredible book, which um, outlines all the ways in which you don't think about how women are discriminated against by what she calls the gender data gap. Really interesting book. And this week I'm just finishing Bad Blood. The story of the Theranos fiasco, huh. um, how Elizabeth Holmes managed to um, convince Silicon Valley that there was this emerging biotech amazing company when in fact they couldn't do what they promised. And, you know, she at one point she was worth, I think, five billion dollars. Um, so it's just an incredible story. I hugely recommend that as well. Um, Brittany, what are you working on without obviously giving away um, trade secrets <laughs> and exclusive stories? What are you working on? This well, um, speaking of directs, uh, I spoke to Chantel before this podcast because I'm writing a longer piece about the new era of sex positivity and the new sexual revolution and what brands should know about that. So stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned indeed. Okay, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much to our panel. Chantel, did you remember the name of that book, by the way? Yeah, so it's by Susie Dent and it's called Modern Tribes. Right. And it's the, la- the lost language of Britain and it covers swearing and colloquialisms. Oh, very interesting. Lots of book recommendations today. That's um, Susie Dent from Countdown, of course. Thank you again so much to our panel, Chantel, Stu and Brittany. Thanks, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. And make sure to subscribe if you're a first-timer and join us next time for the Campaign Podcast. You can catch all our stories on campaignlive.co.uk. Thanks, everyone. Bye.